Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church, and what a delight to be with you here today. Uh, Today we're in Acts 21, a people living in a world of hurt. Um, It's uh, just so interesting how all this series has come about uh, over the last month. I just don't even know how to describe it other than just to say it's it doesn't happen a whole lot, but I've just had this pastoral sense that there's just been a lot of weight and heavy going on in people's lives, a world of hurt. And I'm not just talking about around us, I'm just even talking in our lives uh, with what's going on. I read in the register of the prayer requests and Man, there's just a lot of heavy and a lot of hurt that's being experienced. And and then I know of other situations in our church family just for some heavy things going on. And then there's certainly all the ones that I don't know about. And and then um, we just kind of put it all together and we're living in a world of hurt. And uh, not only is it an angry world, but uh, we experience the hurt of this world and I think much of this really comes out of, for me personally, just out of what over this year, having gone through the Gospel of Matthew and just seeing how God has stepped into our broken world and, and a, into a hurtful and a hurt-filled world. And there's just been times where I was going through that series and just asking myself, at what point in time is he just going to say, I've had enough and I'm out, you're on your own. And then we've been in these latter chapters of Acts, and it's the same thing with Paul, where I just go, at what point in time, Paul, are are you just going to say, why did I give up my career before? I was on a pretty good track then, and uh, I'd give it up for this, and um, I just don't want the feel-good answers, because life is heavy and hard at times. I mean, I want some real meat to understand how do we run and not grow weary? How do we continue running when we're being pelted and not grow weary? Well, I think uh, Acts 21 is going to help us today. Let me just even read a couple passages here before we enter that. Listen to what Paul received for his loving people. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, listen. Five times. I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I'm telling you, friends, for me, that's hell right there. Can't imagine. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people. Dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all those other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. 
That's a dude carrying a lot of stress. And then in chapter 12, on the other side of the page, verse 10, he says this, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. I am content, Paul says, with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And then Acts chapter 20, verse 24, we read the other week. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. And then Psalm 55, 22, cast all your burdens on him. He will sustain you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Wow. Well, I think Acts twenty one is just going to add to this, and add to helping us think through. So, how do we keep going on when we live in a world of hurt? Number one, by living we, not me. Let's see it in the text. Let's see it in the text. Chapter 21, let's begin verses one through six. Dr. Luke writes, and when we had parted from them and set sail, by the way, that was last Sunday. They're leaving and they're saying, the elders from Ephesus are saying goodbye and Paul's in the boat saying goodbye and he's heading off. And when we parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patara, and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo, and having sought out the disciples the followers of Christ entire. That's just, that's just what Paul and his team did. We stayed there for how many days? Seven days. Um, by the way, there was unloading the ship, reloading the ship. Back in those days, that took a long time, like seven days for them to unload and then reload and keep going and then go on through the Spirit. They were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days Uh, There were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another, and then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. Uh, Luke here gives us kind of a travel log of number of places we have coming from Miletus and then Kos and Rhodes and Patara and Phoenicia, Cyprus, Syria, Tyre. You can look the map in the back of your Bible if you want at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Remember, he's heading back to Jerusalem and he's, these stops are, stops are on the way. And then Dr. Luke also gives us some people here, uh, disciples here in Tyre, including men and women and children. It's just really a sweet scene again it just tells us again how Paul loved people. 
It wasn't about his own little kingdom building business ministry thing. It was about people and he loved them and they loved him and they go to the beach and they pray and say farewell, just super sweet. And then uh, Dr. Luke here gives us a host of these uh, first person plural pronouns that are in the text. Ten we's, ten we's in verses one through six and there's 25 we's not W-I-I, but W-E, 25 we's in the chapter. Uh, It's telling us something. Paul lived we, not me. He lived we. By the way, we saw Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Jesus lived we, not me, as well. Uh, always people around him, always moving. Uh, he did we ministry, not me ministry. I mean, in the sense of it all, it was all about him doing a work for the Father, but even, by the way, that carries us into the Trinity. Do you realize that our Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, is a we, not a me. That's a very big deal, by the way, theologically. It's a very big deal to understand as much as we can try and understand eternity past. Eternity past was not even about a me, a divine me. It was about a divine we. And then carry that out. The divine we created a human we. We Adam and we Eve. And in that, they put them together, two unique people, not the same, two unique people, and yet both equal in the sight of God. And what then happened in the we of perfect creation? What happened was the, the, the choice Adam and Eve made was to step aside from the we and to live the me for a little bit. And they bit it. And the we was broken because the me came to the surface. By the way, can you and I relate to that? The we monster, or the me monster, I'm sorry, the me monster that's in us. And we saw Adam and Eve, me hiding and me protecting and me covering in Genesis three. By the way, Ecclesiastes four, nine, two are better than one. Two have a good reward for their toil, for if one falls, one will lift him, one will lift her up. But woe to the one who is alone, for when that one falls, by the way, not if that one falls, but when that one falls, he, she has another to lift them up. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Living we, not me. Add to that Proverbs 1, 18, 1, 18, 1. This is just a profound, short sentence. Whoever, which means no one is exempt. Whoever isolates himself. Whoever isolates herself. Seeks their own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates himself seeks their own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. That's what happens when we live me, not we. Question, are you doing life in a first person plural pronoun manner? 
or third person, I'm sorry, or first person plural. Let me say that again. Let me get my grammar right because I got it wrong in the first service, by the way. <clears throat> Are you living life in a first person singular pronoun manner or in a first person plural pronoun manner? By the way, they are very close, but they are vastly different. Living me shows up when God is all about me. Living me shows up when church, when small group, when serving is all about me. Living me shows up when others, of course, are all about me. By the way, living me shows up out of Matthew 7 as when we view others' sin as bigger than our own sin. And Jesus says, stop getting the speck out of their eye and get after this log in your own eye. Me people, we love to get after the speck in other people's eyes. It's easy to live first person singular pronoun. God's called us to live first person, plural pronoun. Let's keep reading verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. Remember, Paul's headed to Jerusalem, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven Who's that? Well, back in Acts chapter 6, the apostles are being, getting so busy having serving communion, caring for widows, that, that the preaching of the gospel is, is being uh, kind of squeezed out of the way in that. And so they say, pick from among us some who can step into that and carry that load for us. And, and the text tells us that they chose seven of them. This is one of them, Okay. So this is one of the godly men who had stepped in to, to serve, and one of the seven, and they stayed with him. Verse 9, this is really kind of a cool and unique sentence. It's all unto its own self. It doesn't explain anything, and I want it to, but it said he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. But I just think that's cool. I just think that's really cool. He had four unmarried daughters. Not that they're necessarily it's cool that they're unmarried, but he had four daughters and they all prophesied. Nothing else is told to us about the text, so I'm just going to leave it there. I think it's just really cool. Verse 10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, not Megabus, but Agabus, plus his heart. I bet he got beat up on the playground as a kid. <laughs> a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt. Whose belt? Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands. Can you just see this? He takes Paul's belt. He's binding his hands. He's binding it and everybody's going, what are you doing? Are you nuts? And then he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and delivers him into the hands of the Gentiles. This is such an Old Testament-like prophetic movement here. And I'll just note this, remember, Acts is transitionary. 
in redemptive history. We have the Old Testament, then the Messiah. We have 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then we have the Messiah, Jesus Christ, come on the scene. And then we have Acts. And and Paul has been telling people, people who have never known all the details of all that Paul knows at the time. And here we still have like this Old Testament prophetic kind of activity going on, saying essentially what Paul had known already and said prior and yet confirming. And so why is this included here? Well, look, verse 12, when we, which included Dr. Luke, heard this, we and the people, were, we urged him uh, not to go up to Jerusalem. I would have done the same thing. Dude, I love you. The last thing I want to hear about you is you going and getting wrapped up and bound up, hands and legs and uh, Friend, are you sure about this? It's really interesting if you read in some other commentators, some take the position that actually Paul was not listening back earlier in chapter 21 when they had said, Paul, don't go, and kind of saying that Paul was actually being disobedient to hearing other believers in that. I don't think that's the case here where I'm at. I think this is just people love him, and who wants him to go and, and have calamities? I, mean, I think this is just natural humanity here and love for one another. And so they urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? By the way, that word breaking, it kind of means weeping and snapping my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I read a verse like that and I ask myself, and I'm going to ask you to ask yourself, are you? Am I? Are we? Are we ready to be that? Oh, I pray that God gives us the grace to be that. By the way, not if it comes, when it comes. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mnason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Verse 17, and we, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. As a people living in a world of hurt, and experiencing a world of hurt. How can we keep running and not grow weary? Number one, living we, not me. Number two, we'll see here in the text, by living in what God has done. By living in what God has done. Let's see the text here as to what I mean. Verse 20, and when they hurt, I'm sorry, verse 18. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. These are the elders at the local church in Jerusalem. And after greeting them, he, Paul, related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Let's uh, spend a couple on this one because this is a sentence, a couple sentences we can spin by. The we team of Paul, with Paul, meets the we team uh, uh, with uh, uh, James in Jerusalem here. And then Paul relates one 
by one the things that Paul had, no, no, the things that God had done. By the way, how long did that take? It's really unique that the text tells us one by one. Doesn't that give you the sense that it probably took some time? Add that sense along with the fact in the earlier chapter, Paul went all night long talking and Eutychus fell out the window. So we know that people like Paul, preachers can go long. They have their own clocks. And so here in it, Paul, one by one, friends, I'm just, here's my point. I think this was hours and hours of talking about what God had done. And he's just going back there. Let me tell you what God did there. Are we through that yet? Yeah, okay, then there. And let me tell you what God did. And then there, what God did. And the we team tells what God did. And then the we team in Jerusalem, as they're receiving it, what do they do? They give glory to Paul, no, to God in it all. By the way, you need to understand this. The times in Jerusalem right at this point in time were hard and heavy. In fact, um, Paul is bringing money gathered from the Gentiles. Old Testament, the dogs. He's bringing money from the Gentiles to bring back to the believers in Jerusalem to love on them. In part, just to love on them and to show that we are together on top of that because there's a whole lot of famine and hurt going on in Israel at the time. And so can you imagine being an elder in the church of Jerusalem? And we're going to learn in just a moment, thousands have come to Christ in uh, Israel and Jerusalem, and they are leading a mega church with new believers in Christ who are going through massive economic, even food issues. Talking about living in a peck of world of weight, and then there you are hearing what God has done to the Gentiles, far away from you, by the way, and what do they do? They go, thank God. If I could say maybe, Praise God one by one by one by one by one. In their own world of hurt, they are rejoicing in God doing work, not even in their home, somewhere else. And that becomes part of helping them continue on. Because although God may not be doing a work in the way that I would like to have him do a work here, we know that God is doing amazing works there. And it's not that God isn't at work here and God is at more work there. It's God's doing a different kind of work. But it's wonderful to be able to rejoice when God is doing uh, celebratory kinds of things, isn't it? And yet we know in it that God is doing just as much of a work here. It just happens to be that God's at work work here happens to be times of hardship. But we people celebrate God at work amongst we, not just me.
Be careful of the jealousy pit. Be careful of the time where maybe in small group or maybe in your own family, um, in ministry, when you hear of God at work in another family or in another person and you're like, oh, thank the Lord, praise the Lord, right? And we rejoice in that, and we do. But then there's, little, there's this little me monster that kind of like, hey, like what about that with me, right? I get it. We get it. Be careful. Be careful of the jealousy pit. Live in what God is doing everywhere. By the way, next Sunday, we're going to be spending the majority of next Sunday hearing what God has done. Four people next Sunday. Paul, Ed, Francois, and Ali. You're going to hear their stories. You want to be here. You want to be here. As a people living in a world of hurt and experiencing a world of hurt in our own lives, how do we continue? By living we, not me. By living in what God has done. And third, by living faithfully in a stirred up world. By living faithfully in a stirred up world. Let's pick up verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified God and, and, and then they said to him, here's some local reality. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Praise God for that, by the way. God's at work. And then they go on, the elders in Jerusalem. They are all zealous for the law. That could be good. That could maybe not be good. Let's keep reading. And they have been told about you, Paul. They have been told that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. No, he didn't. They are told about you, Paul, that you are telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. By the way, the they right there is not just the people who are uh, spreading these rumors, concocting the stories. It's just not people who are outside of the people of God. I think it is quite clear that the they includes people who know Jesus as their Savior. It is people of God they as well. And I'm telling you, friends, it's one thing when the world says something about you. It's another thing when God's people say something about you. You know what I mean? And the hurt, poor leadership among God's people, the hurt of poor things said, the hurtful things said, not done. You know what I'm talking about. What then is to be done, Paul? They will certainly hear that you have come. Verse 23, do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under our vow, and Paul listens to their counsel on this one. Verse 24, take these men, purify yourself along with them, pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, 
but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. That was coming out of the statement of what the Jerusalem elders had sent some years ago up to Antioch, Syria, uh, to the Gentiles and clearing some things up. Verse 26, then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be filled and the offering presented for each one of them. Remember, it's Pentecost. There's very likely some two million people right in and around Jerusalem at the time. This is like Super Bowl week in Jerusalem uh, spiritually. Uh, The purification vows that are being talked about that, there's different views on the specific details of the four four men in Paul's seven-day purification. Those details just aren't the point of the text and just don't get lost in that part of it. Get lost in verse 23 because Paul is submitting to the Jerusalem elders and then verse 24, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you. In other words, Paul, do these things so we can clear up some of these these accusations, these lies, these untruths that are being told. So seven days go by and the scene moves to the temple grounds. We're at uh, verse 27, 36. I forgot one thing. Let me just uh, make mention of. Thousands of people have been coming to Christ, praise the Lord. And I alluded to just how hard that must have been for the leaders and the elders at the time. The weight on their shoulders was taking care of everything and even the economics. And, and here we have this terminology that's carried out about these untruths being said. I just want to take a moment and say this. Be very careful. We live in a digital world where we can say things and not have to show our face. We don't have to speak face to face. We can speak with our fingers and disappear. What leaders teach and how leaders lead matters. Matters a lot. It matters for all of us and how we live and what we know and teach. We're going through a name change. And... uh, core reason for it is because of what a leader and some leaders not here have done. And it's hurtful. In this last week on digital media there's a little video of a church leader who's saying something about another leader. Just zip it. Be careful. Words matter. And and here Paul is experiencing these things being said about him that They're not true. Why doesn't he just bag it? 
It's stunning. By the way, I'm not saying that because I'm going through something in that. I'm saying that because we live in a world that does this, and it's hurtful. This is so relevant, so crazy relevant. And yet Paul continues living faithfully in a stirred up world. Verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, most likely from Ephesus, seeing him at the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out. By the way, can you just see this? So some guys recognize him from Asia. Again, most likely from Ephesus region. You'll see why here in just a second. They see him there. They come over to Paul. He's in the temple grounds area. They put their hands on him and they cry, men of Israel, help! This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere. By the way, I kind of like that. Praise the Lord for that. But look, this is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place, and that is not true. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defied this holy place, for they had previously previously seen uh, Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They didn't know it, but they supposed it. Verse 30, and then all the city was stirred up at the time of Pentecost. And all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and, and at once uh, the gates were, and once the gates were shut, and as they were seeking to get this, kill him. Word came to the tribune of the Korhot that all Jerusalem was in confusion. We'll explain more to that. This is a leader of the Romans who are connected right on the temple grounds. You can see on the screen right behind me, it's that building that probably wasn't inside the temple grounds like that, but next week we'll talk about it. And they're there, and the Romans are there. And then the tribune came up. I'm sorry, verse 32. He at once took soldiers, centurions ran down to them, and when they saw the tribune, the people, and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound in two chains. Why? Because he wanted to know what had happened. He couldn't even figure out what was going on. So to save Paul's life, he arrests him and chains him up. Uh, There at the scene, verse 34, some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. This is Ephesus all over again at the great theater we had seen a while ago. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. In other words, get rid of him. Friends, there's something about this, and you can do on your own study. I'm telling you, there's an amazing, amazing correlation of Paul coming to Jerusalem and things that take place with Paul that had taken place about 25 years earlier with Christ. Crucify him, crucify him. And I just think in Philippians where Paul says, I want to know what it is to suffer like Christ. 
and he is. Well, next Sunday we're gonna pick up the account, but I want us to ponder something together. In the world of hurt that Paul is living and receiving, why doesn't he bag it? Why doesn't he say, that's it? I've had enough. It isn't fair. It isn't right. I can't take it anymore. These are lies. I'm done. I'm out. I've been trying to love on my people and my heritage. And the result is that I'm called a liar and a heretic. And the result is they want to kill the beast. This is what I get for living faithfully in a stirred up world. The fact is, he goes on loving God and loving others, as we will see next Sunday. Friends, Paul is living in a world of hurt and is receiving a world of hurt. And and Paul was not a thick-skinned, I-feel-nothing guy. We've seen that recently. Paul felt things deeply. He loved people deeply. And he did so with great emotion. And I think every hurtful, heavy accusation, every punch in the gut, every beating and disappointment, I think he felt every one of them. And yet he, like our Savior, he didn't stop. He lived faithfully in a stirred up world. How did that happen? What had to happen there? Was he just such a man, such a rock? I'm gonna suggest this. I think he had to continually and ongoingly throw it aside before, before the Lord. Why do I say that? Listen, Acts 20 verse 24, I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish the course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace. Listen, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. I am content in them. Man. I don't think I can say that. If you would turn to Hebrews 12, and we'll close here. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 falls. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. And the writer of Hebrews says this, chapter 12, verses one through three. Therefore, therefore, referring back to in light of all of these that I've just told about you, the hall of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God consider him 
Consider him who endured from sinners such a hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. New International Version says earlier in the text, let us throw off everything that hinders and so easily entangles. And as I've been spending time with this and observing Paul, I think Paul knew how to do that. He would take what was happening in the moment and somehow he crumpled it all up. And he cast it before the Lord. And I want to have such a time now. You have a piece of paper that was put in your insert or you grabbed the top, it says Psalm 55, 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. By the way, do you understand that that is saying that the Lord wants us to? The Lord is like, stop bearing it. You weren't made to bear it. I can handle it. Please, would you cast it my way? And he will sustain you. Know this, it doesn't mean that he will make the situation exactly the way you want it. But he will, James 1, sustain you through it. The bottom of the page, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Some of you are going, I want rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Know this again. He doesn't say, and you will find rest from your circumstances. You will find rest for your soul, even if the circumstances continue. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You see some pieces of paper up here on the floor. I'm going to ask for second service for you to do the same today. What is it that for you is clinging and weighing heavy? I want for you to just write it in the space. Maybe it's a word, maybe it's a sentence. I don't know what it is, but God knows. And by the way, this is about you, not your neighbor. Eyes on your page, eyes in God's word, eyes up here, if that be the case. Maybe it's family hurts. Maybe it's friend hurts. Maybe it's church hurts. Maybe it's sin hurts from others. Maybe it's your own sin that you're just stuck in. Maybe it's even a hurt with God himself, where there's a bitterness or an anger with God, and you've been bearing it, you've been holding it for so long that it's literally crushing you, and there is no rest in your soul. So I'm just asking well, well, we'll have be sung over us here for a few minutes. We're just going to take some time, you and the Lord. And if you have something you want to write down there, you write it down. And then sometime during the song, you come up and you just crumple it and you just cast it before the Lord here on the floor. And we're letting all these pile up, all three services, and then I'll pray over those afterwards. 
So let's take some time and come before the Lord. Oh God, do a work and a move here, I pray. Bring hope and rest to souls. Our time here is not necessarily about it will be gone forever, but it may be a turning point, a confirming point, a casting point before you. God, I pray, just do that kind of work right now among us in your name. Amen.